Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we are going to learn from Jose Villalon Gomez. Welcome to the show, Jose. Thank you, Lemo. It's a pleasure to be part of this conversation and this uh, project. So excited to be here and, and welcome to the listeners too. Thank you. Thank you. To get us going, what is your educational leadership title or titles? Yeah, so I serve as the uh, program director for the Emory Family Medicine Residency Program for the past six years. And basically, we're in charge of uh, running the educational experience of our future uh, family physicians here at Emory and across the city of Atlanta and the different systems that we serve. Wonderful. So thinking about working with these family medicine residents, what do you have to do in your role with them? Yeah, so the the, the structure of the program is a three-year experience for the residents. They finish medical school after their four years of uh, their medical degree, either in allopathic or osteopathic medicine. And then to become a family physician, they have to complete an additional three years of residency clinical experience before they are um, more eligible to become board certified in family medicine. So we have to provide a experience to all the residents. Our program is 30 residents in total, so 10 residents per academic year. And the scope of our specialty is basically to train residents from birth to death. It's kind of our specialty. We, we take care of uh, obstetric patients, prenatal care, pediatrics, uh, young adults, adolescents, and then of course the geriatrics all the way to the end of life. So it's a, it, the scope of the clinical practice crosses all ages and, and all uh, family generations. And it's one of the things that we have to expose our residents as part of their training. That has always, I think, blown my mind when it comes to family medicine, the breadth that yes. is covered, um, which I know we're going to be talking more about you and what you do, but I am curious, given that breadth, how do you work out what to cover <laughs> in those three years? Yeah, and that's something that has become more challenging as medicine and science uh, has become more specialized and there's more knowledge on medicine and the different specialties of what's the scope of our practice, how much our uh, family physicians were expected to know. Um, so it's becoming uh, challenging in the sense of what to cover in three years of training and how to be um, efficient and be um, comprehensive enough that our residents are ready to to practice primary care um, once they go to the real world. Um, so it's something that we have to innovate throughout the years as especially have grown. We, we became a, a, a board uh, back in the um, 60s um, and the, the specialty has been growing since then. The, the concept of the generalists has always been in history. It's just that we we didn't make it a specialty and a specific training until the, the 70s. So um, we continue to innovate, try to be creative of how to, to continue to be um, up to date on the medical knowledge and the new uh, 
techniques and, and knowledge in medicine and how to implement it to the primary care world. But I think it also takes a lot of um, collaboration with our colleagues on the specialties and how to facilitate that transition between how far can we take care of our patients and then we have to to pass the the care to the specialist when when it's out of our scope. So it's something that it takes a experience and a training for the residents to get comfortable in that sense and and for us as 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 educators of how to to develop those skills and, and trainings. Thank you, thank you. So given that this breadth and that you are supporting your residents to get through, uh, what skills do you use in your role as an educational leader? Yeah, so I think at this point in, in education, uh, I treat, and I think most of our faculty, I try to to model that uh, that structure is, uh, we basically see them as adult learners. So we have to, meet the trainee at where they add under knowledge, under comfort zone, um, also under style of learning. And I think as adult learners and we, the faculty, myself as director, um, how do we manage the environment to make it as productive as we can from a learning perspective to explore their potential of those trainees and to, to help them uh, find their path uh, to success and to improve their knowledge and, be and become the best uh, physicians they can be. Um, I think it's a little bit more challenging as you move in the educational uh, spectrum from younger uh, ed uh, learners to uh, undergrad to then undergrad and medical education, now at this point, graduate medical education, a lot of the trainees already have developed their learning style and we have to, to try to find a ways to complement that in a way that it's an effective uh, process that you can do in three years. Um, I think some come with uh, skills that are a little more defined and are more um, developed and they can then find their path, which is minimal guidance. And there's some other trainees, which I think are a little more challenging because of their learning experiences and their learning style that need a little more coaching when they're in residency. And that's what, as a, as a lead on the, on the program, a director, we have to develop the structure to support those trainees so they can be successful. Um, I think our goal and me as a director is to make sure that everyone succeeds. I think they made it this far on their training and their education that I think they can get it done. Sometimes we just have to be creative on the way you do it. Yeah, so important. I love as you talk about supporting and really meeting them where they are and being mm -hmm. flexible so that you can really support where they start and where you need them to go. Yeah, and I think that's something that as an educator also gives me a lot of room for growth because some of their learning styles might not be the same learning style that I have. So I have to, and I think that's what makes the job fun is that you have to innovate within your 
uh, on an environment uh, so you can make it a productive and an educational and safe environment for the trainees. Wonderful, wonderful. So I recognize that you um, mentioned early on that you've been in the role as director for about five, six years. And so I would love to hear more. What was your journey that led to this current role? Yeah, so I think education has always been a passion of mine, even since high school. Actually, I think my first job overall was as, uh, as a math tutor um, to uh, junior high students when I was in high school. And then um, as I went through uh, my undergrad studies in biology, chemistry, um, I participated in a program uh, that tried to um, tried to help the community in a way of uh, uh, how can uh, an undergrad student can help the community and be uh, impactful in their university setting. So my project at the time, actually, I put together an educational website um, for students around uh, malaria and the different um, transmission and treatment models. My undergrad uh, honor thesis was on malaria research. And then when I went through through medical school and then residency, I, I have the opportunity to take the role of chief resident uh, in my residency, which some of our responsibility was a lot of the didactics uh, development and curriculum development. And then when I started uh, private practice uh, back in 2009, um, I started working with medical students probably six months into my position. Um, I was uh, I started my practice down in, in, in Pensacola, Florida, and we were associated with the Florida State University uh, School of Medicine, uh, College of Medicine, sorry. And then uh, we actually took third and four year medical students in our practice. So that's what kind of got me back into education. and. I lasted probably, I think it was about 18 months, 20 months in private practice before I decided to make the jump to academic medicine. Um, and then my first um, my first job in, in academic medicine, GME, graduate medical education, was actually in a rural residency in Georgia, in Rome, Georgia, um, at Floyd Medical Center. Um, so that's what my first position as core faculty, uh, and that was in 2011. And I stayed in that position until 2017 when I then joined here at Emory. Uh, I came on board as an assistant program director for the residency in the summer of 17 and then had the opportunity to step up to the uh, program director role in January of 2018. So education has always been kind of in the path uh, of, of my career, my life, my interests. Um, and I think it's something that... Um, I always learn um, as a child. My grandfather was a journalist, so he always the writing and and how to communicate and how to transmit messages to other generations was always very present growing up. So um, that's how I, I see my role is in education is how, how can I help the, the future generation of physicians or learners and society in general. And then and that was kind of what brought me where I'm at. And then um, Never really had a a plan of like, I want to accomplish this by this stage of my career, or I want to get to this point by this uh, point in my life. It's just being opportunities that have presented through that path that I have 
um, taking the chance to try them and to to venture on them and and and, and kind of put the energy and the, and the passion to 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 foster them and to develop them and that's this is where I'm at right now and hopefully um, I get the um, the opportunity to keep doing it in in this role or any other role related to education. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Jose. Oh, thank you. As I listen, one of the things that I am very fascinated about, because I don't hear about this often, how was it that that similarity or difference being in academic medicine in a rural rural setting versus in like the heart of Atlanta? Yeah, so I think that's um that's something that as I the opportunity presented and I train in New York City. So I train in a in an inner city community kind of base in in Queens, uh, New York, uh, Jamaica Hospital. Um, <clears throat> so I was kind of used to the uh, big city, uh, inner city structure. And then when this opportunity presented on, on the rural side, um, I saw it as a as, as an opportunity to diversify my experiences and try to to see how family medicine is taught in a, um, what we call an unopposed environment, meaning that there's no other residencies in the hospital and that basically the residents uh, run the show in the, in the hospital because there's no other, there's no specialists, there's no uh, fellows. Um, so, you know, the, the experience was very um, enriching in the sense that gave me perspective about the, diversity of education and family medicine that you can teach the, the specialty in so many different ways and depending on the needs of the communities that we need. I mean, we're, we're such a big country with so many different landscapes um, across the nation. And, and I think it's one of the, the reasons that attracted me to family medicine was the, the diversity of the specialty and the diversity of the patients that you can you can treat. So, um, having that experience in the rural setting, in the community setting, being the kind of the, the only uh, residency in the system, um, allowed me to bring a little more flexibility um, to my my knowledge in medicine and also on the ways that we teach because we also don't have all the resources that academic centers have uh, with all the backing of the um, technological resources, um, specialists uh, that are available to, to train. So we have to be creative on ways to bring some of those, some of that knowledge to those trainees. And then moving back to the academic center, then it kind of gives me a perspective of there's a lot of ways to to teach and to train our physicians. And I try to bring some of that to my residents here at Emory to, to kind of plant that seed of, hey, maybe one day you might have to do this in a center that you don't have all the resources, you have to be creative. And it doesn't mean that you have to be fully proficient in, the, in a procedure or a specific pathology, but as just have some exposure. Um, so when, you get to see the patient and you encounter that pathology, you at least know how to stabilize it and triage it and then get the help that you need. So I think it just, again, it just brings that flexibility to, to the specialty and the, to the learning experience. And I think it's just kind of fascinating. 
Indeed, indeed. Thank you. See, I was fascinated, which is why I wanted to know. <laughs> um, so as you think about the, you know, the the work that you've done and you you mentioned you started as an assistant uh, program director, then you're now the program director. What do you wish you knew before stepping into these types of leadership roles? Yeah, that's always a question that I I, I reflect on um, every so often. Um, and I think when we look at these leadership roles in, in education or any enterprise, um, we always want to bring that vision, goals, that um, strategic planning and how to move forward, the uh, the programs that you're going to be leading. But I think the reality is that uh, it's it's a mixed bag of uh, troubleshooting um, emergencies and what we call putting out fires of uh, uh, situation, dilemmas, problems that arise, um, issues with trainees uh, because they're not performing like they should. Um, and that could be very energy consuming, mentally, spiritually, uh, physically, and you have to have a balance so you can still push that strategic planning that you want to do, that that vision and mission for your program or your enterprise, and don't feel that you are getting bogged down because of those emergency and day-by-day -day, uh, situations that you have to encounter, but you also have to to put your agenda. So I think that's something that I wish I I knew or was more aware about uh, before uh, taking on this um, this role. So um, I think that's something that I learned uh, pretty quickly um, as, as you start working on those uh, tasks. So, uh, but I think that was something that I always go back and be like, oh, I wish I knew that before so I could mentally prepare for it. Very important, very more important that mental preparation. Yep. <laughs> we can imagine the future. Yes. Yeah, because I think this 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 kind of position role, um, we have to see it as a we have to perceive it and treat it as a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, if you take it as a sprint or a short race, you're gonna get fatigue, you're gonna get tired. Um that's where the burnout comes in. So you have to come in with a marathon runner perspective of find your pace, um, find your tempo, so then you can be an effective leader. I love that. I love that. And I'm not even a runner. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late to start. Uh, there we go. There we go. Motivation. Motivation. Yes. So recognizing, as you said, the different things that you have to do, the skills that you need to use, what continuing professional development do you do in order to keep up with the needs of your role? Yeah, and I think that's something that you as a leader need to have very, a lot of self-reflection of your weaknesses, um, because we sometimes tend to fall into the taking things for granted or feeling very pleasant on certain situations. So we don't, uh, we just want to keep in that uh, trajectory or mode. So I think always reflecting, I try to do it every so many months of like, hey, 
there's these areas that maybe I need to get a little more training on in the sense of either leadership development or how to handle uh, certain situations with trainees um, or when it comes to new uh, technologies in medicine that I just didn't get exposed because they didn't exist when I was a resident or a trainee myself. So having that self-reflection of what are my weaknesses, what are my holes in my knowledge, because if I don't know it, I can't teach it. Um, I, I think that's something that also as an educator, you, you, you can wing things. You can make things up in the air. You can, because learners will catch you and they will, they know that you're not you're not you're not good at it. So I think reflecting on those weaknesses on the areas of improvement, then I try to either do some extra continued medical education or some participate in some networking events with other leaders in other um, in other programs around the country. And I think that's something that also as a as a leader, you have to be open to listen what things are going on in other programs in the country or in other specialties, because you can learn from all those, their experiences, their, the challenges they're going through. Um, and I think you just come down to be as a leader, you have to be humble. And like I said, know your, your weaknesses and have a plan to, to patch those holes so you can, you can still be an effective educator and leader in your role. Wonderful. So I'm curious for, like, I know you have your different specialty organizations. So is that some of the places that you go to find the leadership and educational um, training, or are there other spaces that you tap into? Yeah, so I think we, um, in family medicine, for example, we have an association of family medicine program directors. So uh, that they have, uh, they they host uh, annual conferences at the same time as the American Academy of Family Physicians uh, uh, Leadership Summit for for educators in in the spring. Um, we also tap in some of the um, family medicine societies uh, for medical student teaching. That's the SDFM. Um, so there's a lot of organizations that you can tap and, and, and use as a resource. And I think now with technology, most of them has, they have listservs. So you can, if you have a, a question, you can post questions in listservs and also get feedback from, from those leaders. Um, I think it's also important that we are in education. We are also in, we are teaching our residents in the healthcare system. So you have to also uh, develop partnerships with those healthcare administrators and tap in some of their um, groups, organizations um, that they're also, because their language is a little bit different, is more management style, but you have to teach within that environment. So you have to be well-versed on that as well. Um, so I think it goes back to the flexibility, be curious, um, what are things that are available for you on top of them? I think now it's also important not only to to recognize the the websites and the societies that are available but the ones that are credible as well because in the internet there's a lot of information that is just it's just not true so <laughs> you have to to vet the the resources that you use so you so you can make uh, informed decisions thank you thank you 
So I'm loving you're already giving advice. Be curious. Vet sites um, when you're trying to find information. Yep. What other advice would you give someone interested in doing the same type of leadership role that you have? Yeah, I think um, just to be open for experiences that you're not comfortable doing. And I think this is something that I learned in my undergrad years from my um, my advisor, uh, which turned out to be the chair of the biology department at Case Western Preserve. And he always used, I remember we used to meet with our advisor at least two to three times a year. And then he used to ask me, okay, so what classes do you pick for this semester? And then we'll go through the list. And then he's like, oh, they're just boring. You need to try something more exciting. So I think pushing me to try things that are of my comfort zone also allowed me to, to develop that uh, instinct to explore things that I might not be comfortable doing, but expose me to a skill that it will become valuable down the road. And I think that's something that I advise to anyone in education that eventually wants to take a leadership role or just uh, be a, a lifelong uh, teacher is to expose themselves to new things. I think that's one of the, the beauties of education is that it gets Knowledge is constantly changing and growing, and you have to really expose yourself and get out of your comfort zone to be an effective teacher. Because you're you're going to be teaching younger generations that are in a different mindset than the framework that you use to learn. So you have to to adapt to those. And I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy teaching is it it keeps your heart young despite your body getting old. <laughs> So very true. Yep. So very true. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, as, as we've been talking and thinking about advice for those um, who would be interested in a same type of leadership role, I'd love to find uh, out from you, how do you view succession planning? Yeah, and I think that's something as a leader, uh, you, you need to realize that your role is not for life. So this is not this is not like a, a monarch that you stay there until you die or or it's something that you're going to keep that position. And and as part of your uh, leadership style and to be an effective leader, you have to start coaching and training your assistant directors, your associate directors, your your core faculty to give them responsibility to start developing the skills that if they're interested on pursuing a leadership role, they can step into that role um, down the road. I think as a, as a leader, you are a more successful leader um, if you have a succession plan or you have developed a structure to support your your colleagues to to be able to take the role if, if you've stepped out or you get promoted um, and not only give them responsibilities on the roles that you have but also support them if they want to do any additional training or any kind of uh, continued medical education or workshops or fellowships in education or any other skill that they want to pursue that will help them support the residency because really their success is your success and then 
the success of all your teachers will eventually translate the success of the program. So I, I think it's something that you have to invest on, on working on and, and be very proactive about it rather than reactive. Uh, um, so you're ready to um, to pass that responsibility to, to whoever is ready. I love that, especially as you're talking about, you know, the the expertise of your your teachers and your mm -hmm. leaders and all it's that holistic image of how all of that ends up supporting the program. Thank you. Yep. So how do you go about supporting or expanding education in your profession or through your role? Um, so I think kind of goes back to what we were talking about, uh, succession and, and supporting your, your team. Um, I think the success of our field, our specialty, um, will depend on the success of those generations that are coming after my generation. Um, so my role as a, as a director and teaching that generation is to make them and allow them to succeed in their fields so they can give back to the generations that are coming after them. Um, so I think that's that's the ultimate goal when you're putting together uh, strategic planning is how do we keep the um, the specialty and the field um, to keep progressing, to keep growing, to keep recruiting uh, other uh, medical students. And, and we have to develop an environment that is receptive and welcoming. Um, so putting that energy in, in, in develop the, the specialty um, to be a welcoming and a environment and, and something that they feel that they can help the society and their communities will, will help with recruitment. It will help with um, growth in the specialty. Uh, so it can, it's, it's like you want to keep the species alive. So you have to invest in their growth and development so they're ready to um, to tackle any challenges that we'll have as they are in the workforce and also have the skills to train the generations that are coming after them. Wonderful, wonderful. And so building on this discussion about success and setting mm -hmm. people up for success, can you tell us a bit more about what contributed to your biggest successes thus far? I have to say that I think having strong mentors and having um, examples throughout my career of how do things right and also learn from mentors and, and teachers that didn't do things so well. Hmm. I also taught me of the things that didn't work. Um, so I think something that I, I contributed to my success or to my accomplishment is to be very observant and receptive and, and discerning those experiences that I saw uh, going through the different stages of my my development and my career and education through mentors, through colleagues of um, co-workers. Okay, this project worked, that project didn't work. What were the things that 
made it successful or why it was not an, eff an effective project. I think keeping that um, openness and, and be always um, mindful of the things that were happening in front of me as I was going through my life experiences really helped me to, to gain perspective um, on those processes and experiences. And also to understand of where are we heading as a profession, where is the, where is the field heading, what are the things that we need to tackle. Um, and it also, I think, my mindset of always being proactive rather than reactive mm -hmm. doesn't always work because not always your environment wants to stay with the proactive agenda and i think we're we're living in a society that many times we're very reactive um which makes it very challenging because we are just part of a bigger environment and community that is affecting our experiences so that's the other thing also learning to be patient and to to understand and and know when to to pick your fights and your battles um, and let other ones go and just all right, we, we'll deal with it later kind of thing. Um, so I think having that kind of uh, 360 perception and understanding what's going on and analyze the, the, the different outcomes of the projects that I have participated has allowed me to gain insight of things that I can try again or not try again. Because, you know, if you don't know your own history, you're committed to repeat it. So... I think that's something that we keep seeing over and over. Indeed, indeed. And I love that that builds on what you had spoken earlier about the importance of being reflective. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to find time to do that. Because sometimes you get into this mode that you're just trying to keep going, going, going. And, and what is the new thing that we need to try? What is the new thing that we need to to put together and to make this program successful. I think many times we just have to sit back, uh, reflect, have a lot of discussions with the um, with the folks that are, we're part of the project, we're part of the experience to gain their insight because uh, sometimes their experiences and their perception of their experiences is not what you think. So gaining that insight would also help you to then formulate pro programs and projects that you want to do down the road. Absolutely. So as a, as we build on this a little more, since you are a lifelong learner, <laughs> what would you say are your biggest growth opportunities right now? Um, yeah, I think that's something that I always look back and, and, and I think I have a struggle um, throughout my my life I how to um, bring more imagination to projects I think there are some uh, I have some friends and colleagues that they're always coming up with this like amazing ideas and I don't know if they just dream them and they just the, the, it's like their innovation and their imagination. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's like the never ending story almost kind of uh, playbook. And I'm like, I just don't have that imagination. And I, and I, and I think realizing that uh, makes me understand some of my weaknesses. And then I can then complement with my colleagues that have those skills um, 
to then help me develop some of those programs. Um, I'm, I'm very project and goal oriented. So um, I develop activities that might feel a little bit dry or they're not as interactive because I'm just very uh, driven. And I think it's just the, that background in math, science, there was not a lot of um, liberal arts injected in there, which I think gives you some of that imagination. That's what my advisor always says, why don't you go and try this class? Why don't you go and try this? Which we're usually in the liberal arts and then. Um, so I think realizing that weakness, which I think it's 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 valid to point out, uh, makes me be mindful of of delegating some of those roles to maybe my chief residents that are a little more younger, more innovative, more they try games and you know there's a lot of gamification in, in education. There's a lot of like flipped classroom, maybe more um, experiential classroom things and. I'm more of like, just give me the lecture. I want the information. I digest it. Then I apply it. But like I said, everyone has a different style. So we just have to to adapt to it. So just tap on those colleagues and, and co-workers that have those skills and then learn from them and, and, and ride along. Love it. Love it. So as you reflect on the work that you've done, what do you love most about your work and what you do? I have to say seeing um the residents grow from that first day that they start on july 1st every year and then see their growth through three years of training and then that final product on june 30th after three years and and kind of experience with them the challenges they go through the struggles that they experience the life events that they go through because this their training doesn't happen in a vacuum they're 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 still they have families they have significant others they have kids they some of them um, have babies in residency other ones have lost family members in a residency and all those things uh, are part of your learning experience and how you react to them shape the way that you develop as a as a physician so so seeing that process, be open to just listen rather than not always give advice. It's um, it's always very fulfilling, and I think it. it I learn a lot from it because I can see how how they react and they grow. See their frustrations with some of the issues that we are going through. Uh, it could be their frustrations with patients. It could be frustrations with learning something. It could be frustrations with the system frustration with the rules. Um, I think all those things and, and kind of working through them to try to, to make it a, a productive and kind of a positive spin that you can learn from it. I think that makes the experience unique that you cannot, you cannot read that in a book. You cannot learn that in a class. Um, I think the human experience adds another layer to, to this role and I really enjoy it. Um, you know, gives me a couple extra gray hairs every year, but that's that's just that's just life. And then I think that gives you the wisdom, and I I enjoy it. And I hope the the trainees appreciate. It. I think, I, I as the generations, um, as the gap in the generation gets wider because we're we're getting older, they're coming in about the same age. 
it is my role to to kind of start closing that gap so I can stay current and, and effective. So yeah, that's that's what I enjoy the most. Right, I love that. And I'm just going to continue to build on this reflection since you okay. know something you do. So as you reflect on your experiences to date, what would you say your passions are around education? Um, yeah, so I think that goes back to that sense of exploration and, and kind of opening sometimes those Pandora boxes. So I think some of the passions uh, that I always try to tap on is when I see a trainee extremely interested into something, I, I, I try to push them to, to open that box and, and, and kind of explore it and try it, even if, there's, if it's successful or not. But the, the learning that goes through that process, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating and, and it will serve as a tool for them in the future. And I see myself, and it's one of the, the passions of this role, um, I know I can't teach them everything they need to be a successful physician or a successful family physician, but I think it's my responsibility to teach them the tools so they can still be a learners when they leave and they keep innovating and they keep being agents of change in, in society. So that's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I think another area that has started to kind of spark some interest is um, how do we integrate some of this artificial intelligence into education, into science? Um, how can we tap in that technology that could be very positive or it could be very negative, depending on how you use it? Um, so how can we tap in those um, those technological tools to supplement the educational experience of the residents, but not substitute their path to learning. Because we could get very easily into, well, AI will be able to answer the, the magic question, the science question, but we still as a physician need to be human and need to understand the concept and the knowledge so we can break the algorithm when there's an exception to the rule. And I think we need to teach our future physicians of how to complement their knowledge with technology, computing, artificial intelligence without losing really the core knowledge and the desire to learn because we could get very complacent and just, oh, the computer will tell me what's the answer, so I'm not going to learn it. So I think we still need to be very mindful of how to uh, integrate those those tools. And I think there's a lot of potential there. We just have to be smart about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I think as I've listened to these discussions about artificial intelligence and its potential, um, my mindset is AI with supervision should always be yes. the yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. And I think and I think we also have to curate the databases that they're using to pull the data. And a lot of this I've been reading and, and hearing a lot about this AI poisoning, which is basically if the data out there in the data uh, servers and the websites that the AI is pulling, I mean it's going to be all wrong. So we can really take this as a society 
into a very dark uh, stage and, and very worrisome unless we really set some boundaries and, and be aware of, of, of what's true and, and what's the, the reality. Indeed, indeed. So, so important. Yep. So now to my last question. Mm -hmm. Recognizing you are more than what you do, what are some things you do outside of work to help you maintain joy in life and practice? Yeah, I think that's um, that's something that if you want to be a balanced leader, you have to you have to model um, a, a balanced life. So, um, you know, I'm married. My wife is a physician. She's an emergency medicine physician. She's also faculty at Emory. We have two kids, uh, so we make sure to to find the family time to to spend time together because I think that's something that that's important. Um, that as a family, that's your support system. Um, so it's important to to nurture that as well. Um, I think on a personal level, I try to stay active through exercise um, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, try to get a good amount of sleep. That's a little bit more challenging because you tend to think a lot at night. Um, but and then as a hobby, I I, I grow uh, bonsai trees. So uh, this is something that I've been doing for a while, and and that's something that I enjoy. That I think it goes back to that nurturing of that small tree and the growth and and how to take care of it. So uh, that's something that I've been doing for a while. Um, try to, you know, read on, on things that are outside of my field so I can keep some perspective and also some of that intellectual curiosity also uh, stays there and, and kind of learn about things. So, so that's how I try to keep the balance, uh, involvement with the family, try to uh, keep a, a, a mental, spiritual, um, and physical health, uh, through, through, through taking care of myself and then some hobbies there on the side. I love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Jose. Before I let you go, any last words of wisdom for aspiring educators or education leaders? Yeah, Lemma, it's been a pleasure to uh, be part of the conversation. I think something that I, I tell all my graduates every year is, um, be sure to expose yourself to the unknown because you will only learn from the things that you get exposed to in your experience. Um, stay empathetic to your communities and your society and always be an advocate for the folks that you are representing, for the groups that are you're supporting and for those in, in in medicine for, for your patients. So I think those those kind of themes, pillars kind of uh, are always kind of my North Star. Wonderful, wise words to end off on. Thank you again, Jose. Thank you, Lamo, always a pleasure. Nice seeing you. <laughs>